you know, look, I don't, I don't need you guys to be fans of the Reds. I just need to know that. What you're hearing right now is a press conference this week with the manager of the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. Now, we normally wouldn't play you any audio of a press conference, uh, especially with the manager of the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. It's usually going to be pretty boring. But this happened. And I can do that. But I've been as candid as I can be about this team and our players, and we got to deal with this. Every team that we play has to know every guy that's here and what they can and can't do. me. It's a disgrace. In this press conference, he ended up dropping the F-bomb 77 times. Yeah, people counted 77 F-bombs in one press conference. Now, we actually happen to enjoy listening to that, but, you know, some people might not have. Maybe he wished that he had alternatives uh, to make it a little less repetitive. And as part of our ongoing effort to help every Major League Baseball team, we want to give him uh, a few more options. So, uh, Jillian, do you want to give that a go? Hello. So, Jillian is going to redo the press conference with um, some alternatives. Fart me. It's a farting disgrace. It's flat pack furniture in horse shamu. You've got to watch this flannel shirt. I've got a fajita sizzling read on that finished tweet on our own people here that we don't have fjording player. How the fluff does that benefit the Reds? It doesn't benefit us one foot long hot dogging bit. God damn forth. We try and get out there and win Fiona Apple in games. I got to come in here and tell you guys fuzzing blow it all over the fennec foxing place. I'll tell you what you want to know. I'm not going to Fuji filming lie to you. I didn't tell you the Fisher fighting Sean Johnson. Oh, fiat. Support for this podcast, How to Do Everything, comes from Stamps.com. Going to the post office takes up valuable time, and leasing a postage meter is too expensive. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for all of your letters and packages using just your computer and printer. For a no-risk trial and a bonus offer for How to Do Everything listeners, go to stamps.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in everything, the word everything. That's stamps.com. Enter everything. I was emailing with a publicist this week, and she used an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. And then I was responding, and I wasn't using one. And I looked at it, and what I was writing looked so much more sad and less enthusiastic than what she was saying. You seem bitter, and she seems excited. Right. So I added one to sort of meet her level of enthusiasm. Uh-huh. And then we kept going back and forth, more and more exclamation points. By the end, we were almost exclusively using exclamation points. It doesn't sound like you. It's not. Yeah. And I feel like this has happened uh, on a larger scale around the internet that we are all using more exclamation points than we should, which sort of diminishes the value of uh, a really good punctuation mark. It feels false. We've been desensitized to the power of the exclamation point, and uh, I I think we should make it stop. It's difficult because there is this sort of arms race going on right now. In exclamation mark usage. Beth Dunn is a writer for HubSpot, and she's written about how to get rid of exclamation points in emails. So it's a struggle, for sure, um, but I think that it can be done if you concentrate on using words 
to get your point across instead of punctuation. Okay, so what's a good, give, give an example of using a word where otherwise you would use an exclamation point. Something like um, just a greeting, like good morning. Mm-hmm. In an email, a lot of people would put an exclamation mark after that, and then that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the email. Now you sort of have to end everything with an exclamation mark, and some people do. But you could instead say something. You could, if, if what you're trying to do with the exclamation mark is sound friendly, you could make that a friendlier greeting with words like, depending on your relationship with the person, "Good morning, sunshine," or <laughs> "Good morning, uh, fabulous coworker." By whatever it is your relationship is with that person, there's probably a way to phrase it that evokes a sense of warmth and collegiality without getting all shouty. A lot of it has to do with just. Um, the beat of what you're writing, the rhythm, and you can fix a lot of that just by reading what you're writing out loud. So, okay, so that maybe that's a solution, that when you're writing something and you're worried about conveying tone, read it out loud and see, see how it sounds. Yeah, and one of the things that I do is I try to, especially when I'm trying to make sure tone is going to come across the way I want it to, is I'll read it several times, each time in a different, literally, tone of voice. Um, like I'll read it in an angry tone of voice or especially a sarcastic tone of voice. Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> because it's very easy for things to sound sarcastic when we don't mean them to. Well, do, do, you, have a, do you have a piece of writing in front of you? Uh, what I have open right now is my um, article on how to use exclamation marks. Well, can you um, maybe pick a sentence and read it in the different tones of voice that you use when you're making those decisions mm-hmm. writing? And I guess first, give us kind of a flat read. Writing for the web isn't easy. Sure, you want to get your point across. That's a given. Okay. Um, And then I would probably read it in um, what I think of as the giddy tone of voice, um, which is the kind of arm-waving, if everything ended with an exclamation mark, tone of voice. Writing for the web isn't easy. Sure, you want to get your point across. That's a given. That's how it would sound if it were written with exclamation marks ending every sentence and phrase. Wow. Uh, all right, so what's it, how about sarcastic? Writing for the web isn't easy. Sure, you want to get your coin across. That's a given. Yeah. So a, lot, a lot of this is like rhythm and also, I mean, literally tone, like the sarcastic tone is kind of lower, and it goes down at the end of sentences, which I think is a lot of the reason why people use exclamation marks is to, to go up at the end. I would actually recommend that you just try to practice using exclamation marks and other punctuation in the way that you're comfortable with and understand that most people are in the same situation that you're in. Most people are using them more than they are personally comfortable with. They're using them because they think that they ought to. But if we're all suffering, isn't there some way we can all kind of agree together? Like a, maybe a, we can make a pledge. <laughs> you know, which is a, it's a maybe private thing. Maybe we could thing. do one of those like 30-day fasts or something. Like, I'm not going to go for 30 days without sugar or white flour. I'm going to go for 30 days without exclamation marks. And join me in this, you know. So just wipe them out entirely for 30 days. Sure. I mean, why not put a piece of, why not put a piece of duct tape over that um, key on your keyboard and just see, see how it goes for a week? I think that's also the nice. one. Isn't it? Yeah, on the keyboard. Let's, I think yeah. we need to be careful. I like, I, I like this idea of a fast. Yeah. Do you want to do it with us? I'll do it with you, absolutely. Perfect. Okay, so starting today, 30 days without exclamation points. You're on. Okay, so you listening right now, you should do this with us, you know, if you want. It's a 30-day fast. 
Uh, really, your, your only obligation is to stop using exclamation points. And if you're doing this, let us know at howto at npr.org. And, uh, you know, we'll check in along the way to see, see how hard it is. So, you know, every show we, we mention another show that NPR makes that you could be listening to. And this week it's Morning Edition. We, we work for NPR. We are a small podcast. But Morning Edition is kind of like the, uh, what would you call it? The empire. Like the Death Star yep. of public radio. It's the giant thing. It's not a moon. It's a, it's a huge, enormous radio show. They can destroy an entire planet. So you should tune in. Uh, Steve Inskeep, Renee Montaigne, the whole gang... Listen to Morning Edition tomorrow on the radio. Find your local station's schedule at npr.org. If you don't, they, they will destroy your planet. Or at the very least, make you listen to StoryCorps. Do you, do you remember uh, what, what happened the day they destroyed your planet? I, uh, I've heard stories. Because I remember Grandpa used to talk about um, the the debris in space. Yeah. And he had been a, a stormtrooper right. before, right? I think so. That's what I, yeah. I always remember he was always, um, when he would pinch his fingers together and uh, and choke people to death. Yeah. I, do, do you have the force too? A little bit. Because I, um, I think, some I think it got lost along the way because I I can't nothing no have you ever um, have you ever lifted Yoda with your mind no no I picked him up with my hands though was he heavy he's very heavy yeah that's weird because he's so small he's a dense little guy clammier than you'd think to the touch. Sweaty. He has really sweaty hands. Hey, Nathan, what can we help you with? So I was wondering if there's a way that we could drop a chicken from space so that it arrives at Earth fully cooked. Uh, so like heating up through the Earth's atmosphere? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. So this would be like a, would it be frozen? What In what state does the chicken start out? Whatever state it needs to start out in to get to Earth. Okay, Earth, so I mean, it's... Like, it could be frozen... Mm-hmm. Okay. But then it would take longer to cook. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> um, so you're not imagining a live chicken? No, no, not a live chicken. That would be, that would be traumatic. Now, do you do you not have a microwave or an oven? Is this is this your only option for cooking a chicken? We do have a microwave and an oven. Okay. But at the time we were wondering this, we were in a canyon in Texas on spring break. Okay. And we were watching the stars, and we saw meteors. And so we wondered if we could do the same thing with a chicken, that we could get it right there. I, I think a lot of people, when they're looking up the stars and they see meteors, they, you know, they contemplate their place in the universe. Some people make a wish. You, you started thinking about chicken. Yeah. Were you guys, were you hungry in that canyon? Uh, not so much. Well, we're going to try and find an answer, and hopefully... In the future, this is, you know, how you can uh, prepare your chicken. The future of chicken delivery. Yep.
I think we have somebody uh, who can help Nathan. Rob Manning works for NASA, designing things that float through space and then land on Mars. So he has to think a lot about things passing through the atmosphere and heating up. So, Rob, would a chicken be nicely cooked after re-entering the Earth's atmosphere? Well, it depends a lot. Now, so, what, so imagine this. So you, you launch this chicken. I, I now I have to ask the question, is this a frozen chicken? Let's assume it's a frozen chicken, yeah. Okay, well... It, one of the challenges, well, even if it's not frozen, one of the problems that you the, the problems you have when you're coming from, say, from deep space. Imagine this chicken is a meteor. And it's a meteor chicken, and it's really not a super chicken. It can actually it hit the atmosphere coming from deep, deep space, going at the speeds of a, say, a meteor. Well, okay. the outside of the chicken, the part that's facing the atmosphere that's 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 bumping into, will get the surface the surface of the chicken will get to thousands of degrees centigrade. Okay. Very, very hot. The inside, however, stays cold. And because of that extreme temperature difference, what happens is, just like a meteor, the chicken will probably explode. Oh, wow. Raining little chicken parts all over you and and the people who are underneath it. Um, That's one extreme. Now, if you say, well, Rob, don't have to go that fast. Why don't you just do a suborbital flight and not so fast so so that it doesn't get that hot? Uh, and it doesn't get that much pressure put on it as it enters the atmosphere. And I said, well, we could do that. The problem is that the vehicle, unless you're coming at a really super grazing atm- angle with respect to the atmosphere, the chicken gets hot, just, just very hot. And it's still 1,000, more than 1,000 degrees. The trouble is it's only heating for a couple of minutes. And, in, and even if the chicken wasn't frozen, it wouldn't have time to fully cook. So you'll have a charred chicken and one half of the chicken and the inside will still be raw oh well what if what if we took a thought out chicken uh prepared it with all the spices uh if we wanted to brine it we could do that and then we would wrap it in foil could we get it well prepared one of the challenges, yeah, you could maybe road test, but the problem is still the cooking is so short. As, as a friend of mine suggested, um, maybe if you put a little control system and, and, and you can use the, the chicken wings to yeah. kind of guide it, to keep it at, at a high altitude, give it lift. That way it'll stay at this high altitude and it'll cook longer. Okay. So you you modif- modify the chicken to... Modify the chicken, yeah. So give the chicken a little bit of smarts. Uh-huh. So it can stay, can orient itself properly. Now, I I think I can get a rotisserie chicken for fourteen ninety nine at the supermarket. What what's a cost estimate for a program to cook a chicken well using a reentry procedure? Well, I think it, there are there are some pretty pretty. If you go to, for example, to NASA Wallops Flight Center, you will find. Um, some wonderful array of, of, of rockets, sounding rockets, that could lift a chicken and deliver it to all sorts of interesting entry conditions. And you can get those for just a few million dollars. Okay, okay. Ten, twenty million dollars. Uh, we'll, we'll get you a, a pretty nicely done uh, Cornish game hand. So a, a meteoroid is something that's flying through space, right? Uh, 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 yes. Okay, and a meteorite is, what, going through the atmosphere? Uh, a meteor is going through the atmosphere. A meteorite is once it's on the ground. And so what would a chicken be between, what are the names of a chicken if it starts in space, goes through the atmosphere, and then lands on the ground? Well, a chickenoid, of course. Okay. A chickenorite during entry, and just a plain chicken on the surface. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, <laughs> Rob.
You're welcome. We heard from Mike. Mike said he listened to How to Do Everything while getting a vasectomy. Mike, these next 15 seconds are for you. Well, Mike, it sounds like everything hopefully went well. You can assume that you're out of uh, out of the hospital, back home, resting, hopefully comfortably. Yeah, you were able to send us an email telling us that you listened to the show, so we know that your fingers still work. If you're sitting at home, you, maybe you have some peas. A lot of people take frozen peas, and they kind of they use those to kind of numb the the area that's been affected. Don't eat those peas later on. Those peas, once they've served their therapeutic purpose. They're not food anymore. They're, they're, they're just tiny little green ice cubes. Nobody wants to eat those peas. Well, that does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that it's not really effective to cook a chicken by dropping it from outer space through the Earth's atmosphere and then onto, onto the surface of the planet. Really a rotisserie, which uh, chicken is on a spit spinning above a heat source. That's your best way. I mean, it's more cost-effective for sure. When you think about it, really, the Earth is able to sustain life because the Earth is on a rotisserie. The Earth is basically rotating, keeping all sides warm using a heat source, which is the sun. So, okay, do you think that somewhere there's uh, a bunch of people hanging out at a barbecue waiting for our planet to, to cook up? Oh, my God. And if you look at global warming trends, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I'm guessing we're all, we're close to done. It's We're almost perfectly cooked. I mean, the ice caps are melting. You don't want to eat that. That's mm. the frozen part. That's the freezer burn. Burn that off. You know what's good is when the, um, the crust gets all crispy. Yeah. Crust of the planet that we call home. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern... This week is Steve Inskeep. You got a bright future ahead of you, son. Love your work, Steve. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to How to Do Everything. We want to tell you one more thing. We want to know what you think of this podcast, this specific show, and also other NPR podcasts. You can do that by joining NPR Listens. Tell us what you love, what you love less. Say nice things about us or we'll lose our jobs. Speak up now at nprlistens.org.